Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Giovanni Pajoli of Felsina on the show today from Tuscany. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Fine. Thank you. Great to have you here. It's my pleasure. You're the general manager of an estate in Tuscany. Yeah. But how did you get there? Where did your family originate? My family uh, went to Tuscany in the 1966. My grandfather, Domenico, bought the estate in uh, in uh, this fabulous years, the 60s, but we originated from Romagna. Romagna is the little region, but very ancient, very important for the Italian story, and also for viticulture, I say. And uh, in particular for the Sangiovese grapes. Sangiovese, the only Sangiovese grapes in northern Italy is in Romagna. The story of Romagna, also the agricultural story of Romagna, comes from the first occupation of the Romans in the northern of the Apennines mountains and they went to Rimini and they uh, then uh, took and uh, founded uh, other cities, small cities like Ravenna, my my hometown. And that's where there was amazing artwork, mosaics. Yes, uh, Ravenna is very famous for the mosaics and uh, we have also the gravestone of Dante Alighieri, a Florentine, born in Florence and died in Ravenna, writing the last important part of the trilogy, the Commedia, uh, looking at these incredible mosaics, and also in these mosaics you can see vineyards, vines, and that is uh, the best witness of deep culture we have, Romagna have, uh, linked to the Romans, and to the central of Italy. And this first invasion of the north of Italy mixed with the people, mostly the Celts. You can see I have a red hair and uh, something to do with the, the Celtic uh, tradition there. And uh, was very lucky the, mix, the, the mixture of the two people just uh, in this uh, little area. And also in agriculture we have same animals of the center of Italy, but with specific animals like the, the black pigs or uh, the cows 
or many other animals, and also in the viticulture and all the other, you know, many other species of fruits and grains in general. And this is the reason why the two most important grapes consumed by people during hundreds of years there was and are Sangiovese and Albana and also other little, very little production of very particular grapes that we have and that are specific of the tradition of Central Italy. And this is very important for me, very important for my family, because uh, every member of the family in uh, Romagna, like in Tuscany, around the table has always a bottle of Sangiovese grapes. Uh, in the 60s, my family who is in another business, in the port of Ravenna. We are in the logistics business, but uh, my grandfather, with uh, great love for uh, Tuscany and Chianti in particular, had the occasion to buy the estate Felsina. And immediately uh, he planted new vineyards with my father as a young man, 18 years old, another great man who loved uh, very much agriculture, he is still in charge as uh, president of the holding of the group. But uh, if you know him, everybody who knows him know very well that he loves uh, more <laughs> agriculture in general and viticulture in particular than logistics of other many businesses he, he managed. And as a young man, uh, he planted um, the most part uh, of the vineyards of Felsina because we are, I have to say, we are at the southernmost part of the Chianti Classico region, in the Comune of Castelnuovo Berardenga. So the Comune of Castelnuovo Berardenga is one of the biggest comune in, uh, in Tuscany in general, and of course uh, between the Comune of Chianti region, Chianti Classico region, and scattered by this border. And also the farm of Felsina, that is near the village of Castelnuovo Berardenga, is scattered from the border of the denomination of Chianti Classico. And in the 60s and uh, in the 200 years before, in general, the Chianti was considered to finish at the Castello di Brolio, so a little bit south. Gaiole, right? Is yes, that, yeah. in the Comune of Gaiole. Castello Bradenga was not considered. In fact, my parents find uh, a beautiful estate, mostly of olive trees and grains. But maybe many people told to you from coming from Tuscany, from Chianti in particular, there was still the Mezzadria. And so every, that means that we have a court with, I don't know the, the word the court, <laughs> it works, but yeah. with a church, with a villa, with the cellar, with the meal for the olives and many of the other rooms at the service of the agriculture. Towns based around sharecropping, basically, where families would live and work. Yes. And around in the countryside, of course, we have many, many farmhouses where families, generally three generations of people, stay together and have also they think they, the vineyards, because, you know, as you know very well, the, the vineyards are, the wine is for uh, food. <laughs> For energy, for calories, and so uh, the vinification was made. But when my grandfather bought the estate, there were 
about six hectares of vineyards in an estate of uh, 500 hectares. So uh, the true uh, expansion, the first expansion of the vineyards there is due to my father and my grandfather in the 60s and 70s. And then in the, in the middle of the 70s, a young uh, professor of literature, my uncle, Giuseppe Mazzecolin, a great master for me, not only for what is uh, viticulture, but uh, maybe mostly for what is uh, the, my personal education in general. Um, he married the youngest daughter of my grandfather, but he finished the university in Florence, literature, and, but there was at the, the time no possibility to teach. And after some um, lessons made in some uh, secondary school, I, I think, I don't remember exactly, my grandfather told him, well, you are waiting to become a professor more seriously. You live in Tuscany with my young daughter. Why don't you try to sell wine, to, <laughs> to push wine, uh, to talk about wine, uh, to represent the, the state around the world? And he started in this way. And I have to say that at the end of the story, some university probably <laughs> had to give him some uh, um, degrees, some um, laurea in economics, because really putting together the passion for culture, the passion that became from the years, the particular years, the 60s, in which he attended as a young boy the university, matching matching with the, this with viticulture at the, in the 70s it was a really a great mix so this man with the great culture not only talk of the wine but push my grandfather and my father to follow a clear way and he first of all immediately tried to understand who were the people one over the other luigi veronelli who um, were the people that loves wine in terms of not only technical terms, but in humanist terms. I don't know, you know my English is not good. So, so understanding in <laughs> terms of culture. What I mean. And we are talking of culture, we are talking of people, not only high culture, but people. Wine is something extraordinary because uh, is uh, <laughs> across the different people, different condition of people. And so immediately he uh, have uh, the possibility to meet a man, another great man that is uh, still our monologist, Franco Bernabe, both uh, these two guys uh, coming from Veneto and in Tuscany at this, uh, the time. And immediately he understood that Franco Bernabe could be the right man for Felsina and for the intention to follow the way he, Giuseppe Mazzacolin, with my grandfather and my father, wants to follow. So we started to use only Sangiovese in the vinification. Uh, that is the first important and very significant subject we have. And when I arrived in the farm, it was in the 90. Okay, I, I, I was Christianized in the in the chapel of Elsina. You, you so were Christian? Yes, yeah. Christian. So, yeah. Sorry. Uh, and so I 
I followed probably all the vinifications and I was uh, born in Florence in 1971. But I attended the schools in, uh, in Ravenna, my hometown in Romagna. And uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, uh, at the end of the secondary school, I decided to enroll in the University of Siena because I would like to follow also the state. After six months, I went to my father. I told him, Father, if we don't want to waste money, what do you think if I stop to study law and follow this great job that is viticulture? And he answered to me, you are an adult man, so you have the possibility to do this. And I started to follow directly the state together with my my uncle Giuseppe Mattacolin and this other great man that is Franco Bernabe. Immediately I have the possibility to plant new vineyards and to renovate some other old vineyards we have there. Because in 95 you made another purchase. You bought a neighboring um, vineyard site. In 93. 93, sorry about yes, that. Yes, 93 I started. And uh, this process is uh, finishing in the in, uh, next year. But, you know, when you are 18 years old, you have 10 and more years of the construction of a strong philosophy in both the technique of vinification and aging the wine and uh, the vision of the estate the strong and the cultural, very cultural <laughs> vision of the state. So it's, it was fantastic to be there in the 90s, all the 90s, 18, 28 years old in Tuscany, in the moment in which not so many estates were working in quality, I, I said, since uh, the 70s. It was really a great opportunity for me. It was a, a privileged, privileged opportunity. Privileged yeah. opportunity yeah. And so at this moment, of course, the possibility to plant new vineyards uh, with a different kind of uh, concept, uh, both uh, muscle selection, but also working with some Pépinier Francaise. <laughs> so what's that? Some um, nursery in Italy, mm -hmm. great man. Uh, trying to understand exactly which kind of Sangiovese was good for a soil or another soil. Because um, the question of soil in Felsina is very important. We are in, a, in the middle of three important different kind of soils that is crashing together. We have the stony, rocky Macigno, the Chianti, that come from the north, the typical of the Chianti Classico. We have uh, the Ombrone River, that is the second river, important river in Tuscany after Arno, going south to Grosseto. And uh, the Ombrone River, born a few kilometers north from Castelnuovo and across my estate. And we have the area of the Crete Senesi that arrives uh, in Castelnuovo Berardenga, that finishes in Castelnuovo with the mixed situation between the three big uh, um, different kind of soils. So my grandfather don't, do not consider that uh, the age <laughs> this fact, but we are in a really a little paradise for all of the job I do because there are many, many, many different possibilities every 20 meters. Not only 
different mixed soil, but also the purity of the soils of the Macigno del Chianti, the Rockies of the Chianti, the purity of the area of the Colli Senesi, because the state is also catted by the border, southern border of the denomination. And so we have uh, soils uh, totally different in the area of Colli Senesi. Not better? I don't know. I think that <laughs> is different. Uh, sometimes there are some Chianti Colisionesi better than uh, some Chianti Classico, I think. And in our uh, history is important because we have uh, the possibility to see the results of Sangiovese in those different situations in particular. Again, we have uh, a bottle that uh, some Americans called Super Tuscans, in, maybe in the Nates, I don't know exactly, uh, that is Fontaloro. In our case, is not... Uh, an example of what Merlot, Cabernet, or um, a blend of this uh, with uh, Sangiovese can be in Tuscany. In our case, is uh, the representation of the uh, two, two different kinds of Sangiovese. Fontalor is made from two vineyards outside the border of Chianti Classico, in the Chianti Calisnesi area, and one in Chianti Classico. And it is also was and is again also now probably but uh, was in particular a, a political bottle I said uh, because uh, we had to we had to do a difficult war in the consortium of Chianti Classico before have the possibility to produce Chianti Classico with only one hundred percent Sangiovese. I don't know if I do a good thing to do to talk about this in this interview, but. Our Chianti Classico was made 100% Sangiovese. It was not permitted. <laughs> we can declare in a public way only with another kind of bottles. And it was the case of Fontaloro in IGT of Tuscany. But we can, we can say to the world, look, in Tuscany we can have a, an important wine made with only Sangiovese grapes. And so... For this is what I call a political bottle. <laughs> but how would that say differ than Rancha? Rancha is um, a single vineyard. It was immediately in the philosophy of the state to continue the story, the secular story of the division of the territory of the state in parcel, the traditional division. Me like many other producers, have seen the passage of a two era. And this is not usual. The end of a secular story. When I was a child, there were, we have 13 farmhouses in the state. So 13 different parcels of the state. And I remember the last families living in two of these farmhouses. So... It's my personal experience to uh, to have lived this passage. But um, immediately, and the culture is important in this fact, um, we considered that uh, uh, it was important to maintain the idea of the parcelization. So still now, our estate is managed considering the different 13 parcels, 13 farmhouses, trying to have vineyards, but also cereals, olive oils, in olive trees in every parcel. The houses are empty 
unfortunately the economical condition does not permit to have people there families there but we have maintained the system so we have modified the organization of the state maintaining the concept of the different parcel and the, the observation of this fact in the vineyards made immediately evident that rancha this very ancient farmhouse was uh, special places for Sangiovese there and uh, immediately were clear that we need to have a single vineyard there and again 100% Sangiovese like all the lines of the bottles of Felsina from Chianti Classico Normale to Chianti Classico Reserva the two bottles that uh, was produced since 1977 uh, from my father and my grandfather And from 1983, with uh, the new project of Franco Barabay, my grandfather, my father, my uncle Giuseppe, we had uh, Fontaloro and Rancia. Fontaloro, I've said, Rancia is a single vineyard in Chianti Classico, Riserva Chianti Classico single vineyards. But this process uh, is uh, live, <laughs> something live. We have planted, I have planted personally, many, many other kind of clones, selection of uh, our old vineyards uh, of Sangiovese. So I, I don't know how many other farms in this uh, moment has so many different uh, Sangiovese clones on uh, so many hectares and in so many differentiated uh, soils. This is really a wonderful job, <laughs> really a wonderful job. Also in the cellar, because of course we have to try to Unify every single vineyard and every single clones in every single vineyard separately. This is our route. We have decided this uh, many years ago, and we continue to study the reaction of Sangiovese in different soils, different clones uh, in our area, of course. Another singularity of Felsina is that it's a big basin of light, and this is very different from the northern of uh, part of the Chianti Classical region. Luigi Veronelli said once that Felsina brunelleggia. That means uh, that uh, is similar in, in some uh, kinds to the Brunello. That is true, because if you compare our wines to the wines of the north of Chianti Classico, you find some uh, particular characteristic that is not so easy to find in other Chianti Classico. One of the most important differences is the taste of smoky, of tobacco, of black licorice, of um, earth. And this is not so common. And it's strange because I, I'm, I'm not an enologist. <laughs> I have to know everything of a little of many things to conduct the estate. But this characteristic of smoky is present in every part of the of the farm both with a, a kind of soils and, and another kind of soil in the Chianti Collisionese part and in Chianti Classico part and this is an element of reunification um, really Castelnuovo Bradenga really fails in <laughs> Tell me about Mr. Bernabe what's he like? I am a lucky guy also because I have not only a great master in my uncle Giuseppe Mazzocolin. But another uncle, 
that is a maestro Riccardo Muti, the conductor of the Scala Orchestra and of the and when I think of uh, Franco Bernabei, I think of my other uncle. There are a lot of great uh, analogists, winemaker, but uh, it's difficult to find a man that have uh, both a great technique and a great uh, capacity to to feel wines, to translate the soils into the wine. In between technique and uh, this feeling, this particular feeling, there is a great passion and a severe method of working. I say that it's like in music, my other uncle. Great study of the story of the composers, of the music, of the grammatic of the music. But when you are on the podium to conduct the orchestra, great passion and the, the, the capacity to, of the interpretation. I know many other conductors, because I don't want to, to talk about other winemakers, but I know many other conductors, because I'm passionate about classic music, music in general. But really, not this because it's my uncle, but Riccardo Muti is different as the centimeter that makes the meter, we say in Italian. <laughs> so Franco Bernabé is that kind of person. And again, very lucky me to work with him since I was 18 years old. Sometimes uh, we have to fight about the decisions because, you know, uh, conducting an estate means many, many different things to do. Uh, commercial uh, people, to uh, many, 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 many things to, uh, to consider. But uh, it's, very, it's a pleasure, still a pleasure for me after many years to work with him. Why do you think so much changed around Tuscan wine in the 80s and then the 90s? Why so many decisions to do what we would think of as super Tuscans or different kinds of bottlings or new investment or renewed interest in Tuscan wine around the 80s, late 70s into the 90s? Why, why was that period so much of a pivotal time? Why this period? Uh, it's because uh, probably... Because there were no other possibility, and there is uh, again, there was a, a, an incredible misunderstanding why a country like Italy had an, an agriculture treated like uh, something in the pampas. Uh, I would say <laughs> it's stupid. It's incredible. It was incredible. It's still incredible in some. Uh, a lot of things in Italy. All now, I think a great the civilization, <laughs> the civilized world, look uh, at Italy uh, sometimes again. Also now, with this sort of uh, desperate <laughs> eyes, because we are not able to be the right witness of our story. I know you know it's it's very difficult, of course, because we have so many stories, so many thing to defend that every generation of Italian have an uh, a mountains to claim and uh, be uh, responsible of all this story um, is difficult it's not easy also because the evolution is not only in, in good thing in, in good people but also in, <laughs> in the scenes <laughs> so every generation of Italian had 
to learn and to appreciate his country in deep, in uh, some depth, in depth, and to take over the shoulders all the story and uh, each one in his position in society with the possibility each one of us uh, have uh, to defend and work for. Uh, and when this doesn't happen, we immediately follow the bad example. So a traditional viticulture was uh, betrayed, tradita, betrayed, and uh, also economics failed again. It's like music <laughs> again. It's like culture in general again. If you if you think that Dante Alighieri and the uh, Commedia is not uh, good for life, uh, you you lost uh, not only Divina Commedia and culture, but you lost at the end. You lost of also economics. <laughs> and uh, the same thing happened in the in the world of of, of agriculture. How should I understand Sangiovese as a grape variety? You've had different chances to taste it in different kinds of soil and different zones. What should I know about Sangiovese as a grape? How should I understand it better? Is all the process, starting from the vineyards, of course. I know it's a simple answer, but it's true. When you look at the grapes and you eat the berries, you feel my personal opinion, I, I have to say feel, because I am not uh, through a winemaker as Franco Bernabe, but you can feel the taste of the, of the berries. You feel the skin in your mouth, and uh, you compare with the other experiences I've made, for example, in, in France, uh, most of all, of course, but not only in France. And... For me, it was evident that Sangiovese had the potential. We have in the DNA in some way, because, uh, as I said, every Italian tasted uh, <laughs> wines since uh, many, many, many centuries. And, of course, we need, at a certain point, the Italians, and also at first, you know, we need something, we need technique, more technique, and the technique, but the technique... Is only a witness of something you can feel immediately. Also with the old kind of the vinification. I've tasted my 1971 Sangiovese, a great vintages in Chianti Classico. And it's impossible to say that Sangiovese cannot be a great, uh, a great wine. It's impossible. And at the time, there was not a particular technique of vinification. So, uh, and then uh, with the vinification and the introduction of many, many other uh, attentions, uh, so it was self-evident that there's not a part really a particular moment or in the fermentation. It's all the process. What about some of the vintages that have stood out for you over the time that you've been at the estate? What are vintages that were either very difficult or that you thought were very good or made an impact on you? Me personally, I remember the 90s, not only because it was the first I followed personally in the in the cellar, in the vineyards and in, and in the cellar, but because 90 is still uh, great vintages in Chianti. And immediately we had uh, two very bad <laughs> vintages, 91 and 92. And in fact, in Felsina we do not produce either 
arancia or frontaloro, all the grapes for the normal Chianti Classico. And um, another bad vintage was uh, 2002. Not so bad like 91, 92, but um, not sufficient to take the decision to produce Arancia and Fontaloro. But I love also the bad vintages, I have to say. Because in the bad vintages, you, you try the, the guys in the cellar to produce uh, the best uh, Chianti Classico Normale. And I have to say that sometimes I drink some of the bottles, like 2002, Chianti Classico Normale, and I find not a great vintage, of course, but the style of the state, the principal characteristics of Felsina, and that's enough for me for a bad, uh, bad vintage. Talking of good vintages, <laughs> difficult to say how I prefer 90 uh, of course but also 95 at the moment 88 2003 uh, that is difficult for me <laughs> it's difficult it's, it's easier to to talk about other states <laughs> and what have you found to be the difference between the way that Rancha and Fontaloro age do they age about the same way or do they age differently they aged uh, the same way, not uh, all the vintages. There are some vintages, but in general the same way. The difference between the two is due from the fact of the grapes of Sangiovese that uh, comes from outside Chianti Classico, from the area of the Chianti Collisionese, different soils, and uh, the touch of the fruit more evident in the Fontaloro than in Rancha. Rancha is more... Uh, smoky, more earthy, more solid. In uh, Fontaloro is solid, but you, you can feel also the fruit, a uh, little bit of fruitness. Blackberries, red berries. In, in Rancho you have, but uh, a little more under, covered under the leather, the, the, the smoke. This is the true difference. But in terms of aging, they do the same evolution in general. And what about the Maestro Raro? Maestro Raro was uh, the exception. We planted uh, a little vineyard, half an hectare, near Rancha, just to have a sample in Latin, an alter ego of Sangiovese grapes. And Maestro Raro is Cabernet Sauvignon 100%. Just to have a, a little witness of what can be Cabernet Sauvignon in the same condition of Rancha, so the most red planted uh, all over the world, uh, grapes, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, near uh, Rancha. And I have to say that the experiment is good, I think. I still love <laughs> more the Sangiovese grapes, but also Maestro Raro is very interesting. You can... Um, Oh, of course, uh, you certainly know better than me that Sangiovese is more linked to the soil. Cabernet Sauvignon, the varietal, is uh, important more than the soil. To uh, to make a simplification of the concept, of course. But uh, in Rancho, you can feel the soil of Rancho, also in Maestro Raro. Cabernet Sauvignon has, again, this complexity, again, earthy, smoky and uh, all the other things you can find in Rancho. And what about the Chardonnay? 
Okay, uh, you want me to talk about the, the little production we have uh, of white, the only white wine we have in Felsina. Again, like uh, Cabernet Sauvignon planted many years ago, I think is the second or the third Chardonnay planted ever in Tuscany. And uh, the time I am speaking of uh, the first part of the 80s, the, the bottle... Uh, make the good in the market and so we continue to produce this but uh, Chardonnay is only one of the many 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 different clones uh, mostly from France we planted because we are really focused on Sangiovese the 85% of the vineyards are planted with Sangiovese but the rest of the of the vineyards are planted with many 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 different kind of grapes both grapes of the Italian tradition and of the French tradition, because moving between the first 10 estates to rediscover serious viticulture in Italy since the 70s, and with a family with a great, uh, with good possibility, economic possibility at the time, and with a, a lot of loves for all the world of, of wines, and without uh, any restriction, because coming from Romania means also a little bit uh, different point of view from uh, on viticulture in Chianti Classico than other story. And so we planted uh, really a lot of different grapes. And Chardonnay is just one of these. The only difference is that we like a lot of the first production and uh, the market was happy for this and we continue to produce, but... We love we love this bottle. Yeah, it has history. The other things that you planted, did those get sold off, or what do you do with those? Do you bottle them for your own consumption? We or? drink. Yeah, drink them between yeah. uh, friends. Between we, can, we have a great family, really a great family, with many many friends, and having uh, one bottles, two bottles, three bottles of Pivardo. Um, Gamay, a little uh, tank in the cellar, or Malvasia Nera, or uh, many, many, really many other. We we can uh, we can consume this wine. We can live there to age one bars uh, to look what means in the time. Uh, one other to drink it. So it's uh, our method of education. We drink these bottles also with our staff frequently. Recently, we have also a new production of Spumante, made uh, together with a great man, uh, one of the father of Franciacorta, that is uh, Cesare Ferrari, together with Franco Bernabei. We made a little production, not because uh, we need for the market, uh, but uh, we like to taste uh, to and to uh, we like that the men in the cellar study new kind of vinification because you know it's totally different world uh, the red wines from uh, Spumanti but again young people I've chosen personally and I in the cellar have uh, the opportunity to open the mind and uh, trying new vinification Again, with Sangiovese grapes, that's important. Our Pumante, we are talking of so little production that is uh, is on the market, but it's really, really, really something, uh, a small production. 
more for the pleasure of the family the pleasure also to with the um, uh, Franco Bernabé that is a great lover of champagne of uh, spumante and uh, but mostly for education for our own education being a, a seller in Tuscany sometimes you know for the producers uh, sometimes uh, we are too focused on our own uh, product on uh, one just one uh, uh, grapes just our vineyards that's um, the most uh, dangerous thing we have <laughs> in our world. Giovanni Pagioli of Felsina, he's been engaged in an education in Castelnovo and near Siena for Felsina. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you very much. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.